Sound the horns. It's connecting the classics. And this is a weekly radio hour where myself, Will Hagel, and my co-host, Lee Robinson, pick two albums and connect them using tangential references, Kevin Bacon style. Excellent intro. We discuss each of our albums, and then we go from one album to the other. Weaving webs. We've got a theme this week. And you know more than I know. And I know you're about to tell me about the theme while we listen to this J.J. Kale, Ride Me High. So we, we did the bells a couple of weeks ago, and we thought it was time to do the horns. It's the horns episode, listeners. The episode all about horns. I chose my album first this week, and I chose Morphine, Cure for Pain. And then you fired back at me. Uh, with King Tubby meets the upsetters at the grassroots of dub is that what it was <laughs> oh my, and i forgot to mention we are also a friendly competitive radio hour where we award each other points for not remembering the album title i'm gonna give you minus five points although i almost at the forgot grassroots my album of title dub. that's what i said right yeah i gave your five points back okay all right sound the horn he's sound the points horn he's got it back i got it uh, so I'm guessing we'll get into it with your pick, but you picked that just classic reggae dub uses horns, and we want to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I think uh, horns is a critical part of, you know, reggae, early, like, ska, rocksteady, and then dub as it evolves out of those genres. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I thought this album in particular is interesting because it's King Tubby and Lee Perry, who are just two gigantic figures in that world um you know i hadn't heard it so i will be honest the album was a little more bland than i thought uh but we could talk more about it when we go to my pick i'm curious why you chose morphine i never even heard of this group yeah so this is a group that morphine is the name of the band album is called cure for pain i learned about them through another music writer named chris daly who's written a bunch of stuff for passion of the Weiss. really talented writer it's one of his favorite albums of all time I'd never really given it a proper listen just from the name Morphine and the album title Cure for Pain, knowing they were like an early 90s alt rock band, although they use another term that we'll get into. Uh, I thought it was going to be like a heavy alternative, like grungy sounding album, and it was not that at all. So before we launch in, I'm just curious, what was your reaction to the album? Uh, The reason I picked it is because one of the primary instruments you got the singer is uh, Mark Sandman, and he also plays bass. And then they have a saxophone player, Dana Colley, who plays sax kind of like a guitar, um, running it through like effects and pedals and an amplifier. Yeah, and has a big part in the album too. It's like the main instrument kind of that goes along with the rest of the instruments. So it, it kind of sounds unlike anything you've ever heard before. Yeah, it's nuts. I uh, was definitely like, I couldn't like get a beat on it. So I'd listen to one track and I'd be like, ah, I don't know if I like this. And then the next track would come on and be like, oh my God, this is great. And then the next song would be completely different. It just kept me guessing. So like as a first listen, it was really um, 
disorienting almost very like cinematic felt like i was in a movie yeah i like that so let's launch into it to give the listeners a feel for it one other thing i found that was kind of interesting is the band took their name from the greek god of dreams morpheus morpheus obviously from the matrix neo Uh in the matrix was the one there's a lot of good songs on this album i actually had trouble picking what i thought was like the best example of what this album has to offer kind of based on what you're saying everything sounds a little bit different and you can find like flashes of cool stuff depending on which track you choose to listen to but i'm going with the one that really stands out not the first song not number one but the one the title track cure for pain So as we were, as you were listening, were you feeling the bass? Because the front man singer is a bassist. You know, I it was the saxophone, definitely. Yeah, it was like the the mood that it brought to the music was really interesting. Yeah. So the other thing is they describe their music as low rock, which was a reference like the singer Mark Sandman and bass player has like a bass baritone vocal range, and it's kind of like slowly sung a lot of the songs and then obviously the saxophone is baritone so it gives it that low laid back uh it's like lumped in with alternative rock but like we said it's very different than anything else 1993 30 years ago note that this is a a Boston band or Boston area I was gonna bring that up so I guess this band was like came out of a bunch of bands that played in like the Boston independence and hang on horns Almost sounds like Grover Washington there, like smooth jazz, (laughs) uh, late night talk show. And yeah, as I was saying, and you brought up, they're from Boston, which is near where you live. So I'll give myself five points for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess there's, you know, vibrant local alt rock scene in the early 90s. Everyone in this band played in a bunch of different bands. This is actually their second album, although I think it's kind of their most popular. And they all kind of came together and hearing the term low rock, and then hearing the music, like you can really hear that they focus a lot on the lower registers, which is unusual for a lot of bands, especially like alt rock that will be heavy on the guitars. So yeah. I think that's a very interesting way to put it, where it's almost like chopped and screwed kind of alt rock in a way. Yeah, no, I think that's right. The only thing I'll add on Boston is 
I wonder if this is sort of the next wave after the Pixies in the like mid to late eighties. Yeah, definitely can see that crossover there too. And was Pixies was from Boston? Yeah, they're also Boston. Okay, so then Nirvana was like Pixies on the opposite coast, but this yeah, is yeah, Boston still going. Um, I love the chorus too. We were talking over it, but it's one day there'll be a cure for pain, and that'll be the day I throw my drugs away. <laughs> I think is great. almost sings like a horn where it's like like it's louder yeah almost reminds me a little bit of the cure totally cure for pain but the cure like kind of like goth inspired singing in the lower registry register yeah yeah um, that's a good connection but also pretty smooth like santana featuring rob thomas <laughs> which launching into my next connection no i'm kidding but uh yeah very interesting album i definitely recommend checking out the whole thing i think it has kind of like a passionate fan base the singer mark sandman died on stage when he was pretty yeah. young of cardiac arrest he died on stage in italy so sad ending to their career but um definitely one of those records that stands the test of time in my opinion still sounds new 30 years later i've also seen that it's been licensed in a lot of different like tv shows and movies so so like, exactly like you said cinematic other people are feeling that ear to the pulse um, pulse to the ear yeah great pick always appreciate when you bring new music that i have no context for it's always fun to, to listen kind of with fresh ears all right you passing it passing it back let's talk about king toby and lee scratch all right Perry. so yeah as i was kind of getting into really trying to nod at dub music and reggae just in terms of the importance of horns plays but the way this album came together there was this guy winston edwards who kind of basically tried to create a record with both King Tubby and Lee Perry. Uh, the album itself is 1974. So both of them are like pretty established in Jamaica at least. And so rumor has it that each artist did one side and it wasn't really a collaboration in the way that I think he had maybe hoped when he, this guy Winston Edwards had, you know, come up with the idea for the album. Launching into Adele. Rumor has it. But I was vibing to the horns. I wasn't disappointed. It just wasn't uh, as horny as I'd maybe hoped. Um, <laughs> but 
the second side, which is Lee Perry's side, I found had the best horns. So launching into, I think this was track seven, track six. This is 300 years at the grassroots. Mm. Great trombone. What a title too. I was definitely getting like uh, Rudy vibes. Yeah. I think this is before that, so I don't know if it's inspired by it, but. So this is like, I know we've talked about dub, but Lee Perry would be essentially behind the boards. Yeah, yeah, so changing. good question. Yeah. So uh, the way this works, like I was mentioning, this guy Winston Edwards was kind of the producer i guess in the sense of trying to pull the album together it was um, the dj khaled yeah yeah maybe dj khaled and so the backing band is called natty locks so they're the musicians that are doing actual playing and then king tubby and lee perry are kind of similar in that they're both kind of doing the mixing i guess is what you would probably call it in terms of deciding like live mixing though usually yeah it. Yeah. Dubbing it out. Just like sense. feeling it in the studio and hitting effects and knobs. Yeah. And so that's a good segue into like the way dub even came about was this idea that like each record in the early days of reggae would have an instrumental side. And so to create that instrumental side, you would literally like recut the record without the vocals. And so that's when King Tubby realized, well, like I can create a new song if I, you know, instead of let the bass play in the whole time I bring it in and I throw some reverb and you know kind of alter the vibe of the song I do love how there's sort of a play with the trombone and the delay. Well, it's like talking about 300 years of grassroots music. I feel like we talk about this a lot, especially on other podcasts, Recorded History of Music, just how music was like a grassroots folk thing that then became recorded. And then they're like the original postmodern people, dub engineers or whatever you want to call it, where they're like remixing it on the spot and they're making a horn sound completely different than it sounds in a live context through the mixing board exactly which now is easy to do with like digital programs and stuff like that yeah but this is like the original version of that yeah and so that's a great point is like the other thing that i think propelled a lot of jamaica jamaica's like reggae and you know i guess reggae and dub probably is the best era is you know a lot of these guys including king tubby were kind of like electrical engineers and knew how to tweak with 
gears and circuits and create their own equipment and build their own studios. And so they were all sort of self-sufficient and didn't need to like tap into a bigger studio system in another country and were able to just like do their own thing, which is pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, captivated the world, which, you know, I've, I've heard a bunch of, you know, people say this before, but the idea that like a tiny little island mm-hmm. created a sound that became like contagious across the world is pretty nuts. Yep. And like a unique culture in a little place that like, what is, do you even have any idea? What's Jamaica's population? I would think there gotta be like a million people. Maybe that sounds about eh, maybe more maybe less. Oh, yeah, 2.8 million yeah. now. So let's see back in the seventies, it was 1.8 million. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that's still, crazy. That's like a smaller like size a town, town yeah. in uh, the U S and in China, it's like a rural village. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um all right i'm gonna throw this back on one more time just to appreciate all right my bad but i didn't no no i just uh i didn't get to really talk about lee perry i mean it's kind of silly to think i could talk explain these guys careers in three minutes so uh maybe we'll just leave it at where we're at hey that's a but, good social clip explain these we explained <laughs> king toby and lee scratch perry in 10 <laughs> <It's> seconds <laughs> But to just quickly summarize, Lee Perry is just a huge musical force in Jamaica's scene. Um, he's oftentimes considered a record producer, so he's kind of the brains behind a lot of operations. Uh, not as much of a dub guy the way King Tubby was. He was very much involved in just uh, getting bands together, producing songs, producing albums, um, and doing his own music as well. And at least by his later years, he was like seemingly an insane person, but (laughs) insane in the perfect way. Yeah. And uh, if you ever see the term the upsetters or the upsetter, that's a reference to Lee Perry's like nickname. That's pretty much his musical persona. King Tubby, same thing, kind of like also was, he didn't play an instrument or anything. He was more of a No, engineer. he was definitely an engineer. He came from the world of engineering. And uh, Lee Perry is a little more on the, just like a producer, musician side. Mm, okay. Yeah, both legends. But yeah, both legends in their own right. And um, yeah, so album is cool in concept. I think both kind of just you know, phoned in, phoned it in. I don't think it was super inspired. Yeah, but I actually think it's good. I don't know. I might disagree with that a little because I feel like they are like a big theme of it is, you know, 300 years of grassroots music or like this music is from the grassroots. So it's like almost like they're just giving the bare bones version. Yeah. It's not as like wild as scientists or some other people we've listened to in the past where they go like super crazy with the effects and maybe it's a nod to like i know you were there at the beginning like you were there at the grassroots yeah that's how we do it yeah yeah great album i think it's definitely worth a listen there's so much like dub and reggae like by those artists out there yeah but i think this one is one that i'd never heard of before and i was glad i listened to it yeah it's a fun entry point so that, yeah. yeah, you're right. That's a good recommendation. Yeah, you passing it back. Yeah, let's go. All right, marching on back. I'm just realizing I didn't talk about marching bands, but 
I don't know if you're going to get to that, but that would have been perfect for this horns episode, but maybe we'll do a marching bands episode. Okay. But anyways, Morphine is where we left off. Their drummer's name on this album was Jerome Dupree. Yes. Jay Dupree. Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> reminded me of Jermaine Dupree. Yes. Famous producer, kind of like King Tubby. Yeah. Who he started his career producing the crisscross beat, jump, legendary beat, mm-hmm. legendary song. And then he found, founded So So Deaf, the record label. Uh, Jagged Edge was very influential for me as a kid. He's got music on his own as well, kind of like Lee Scratch Perry. But one of the artists on So So Deaf early on that broke through and hit it big was Debrat. And this is a beat produced by Timbaland. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, is he? I don't know. <laughs> He'll be a guest soon. Friend of the pod, Timbaland made the beat with an artist he's associated with, Missy Elliott. So this is Missy Elliott and Debrat. Sock it to me. Number two. Just real quick, I love the way he uses the horn on this song. I don't know what horn it is. I don't know if it's a flugel horn, another horn I'm not going to talk about, but it has a funny name. Yeah. Uh, it sounds maybe like trombone, but also just talking about, you know, how Lee Scratch Perry and King Tubby reinvented what a horn could sound like through studio effects. I feel yeah. like when you get to producers like Timbaland, and maybe people who might use more synths and getting into like electronic manipulation, you can make a horn sound totally different too. And I like, he really draws it out here, which a horn naturally does. You know, often you're putting your lips on the fucking thing and then you blow and then yeah. it blah, blah, blah. It gets louder and louder the harder you blow. And that's kind of hard to recre- <laughs> recreate. <laughs> uh, but Timbaland, this beat is great. Sorry for talking. Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott, I don't know if people know, is from Virginia, just like Timbaland, and was actually childhood friends with him. So they're like longtime collaborators. Virginia does get talked about with like clips, Timbaland, Missy Elliott, Neptunes, I think maybe are from there. Might be wrong. Yeah, that sounds right. Pharrell. But I always think it's interesting. Virginia, it's just a weird state. Definitely a weird state. It's like not, it's not south and it's not north. Yeah, I think of it as pretty south. south. But, but not like South South. But I always think of like Virginia football or something, and I don't think of like a musical hotbed. But just like Jamaica, it, it is. Like 
work it like a pro, you know. Do a long throw with the backstroke. My hormones jumping like a disco. I be popping ish like some Crisco. And all you gotta say is miss it, girl. And when you say no, I won't move So coming up, we got Debrat. Her 1994 album, Funkdified, was on So So Dev, went platinum, made her the first female solo hip-hop act to go platinum. Salt and Peppa went platinum before her, but she's so good. We got the edited version. Hit hard like penitentiary dick. Like this, we call it puppet constantly making niggas suffer the consequence. Gotta get the ends, bitch. House in the shower, the cannon creeping and out of the bins. Niggas been helping the puppet, but ain't trying. Got plenty that'll ride quick. But I can't want to bust. Stink face. Jealous, cause I live more plus. Me and Missy living in the wood of hair rush. Bring the ruckus plus. I'm telling them pushing, picking up profits. But what I'm selling is like Sucking it, rocking it, dropping yeah, it on nuts. the spot. Heat up in the wreck a shot. Knocking you off for your sock. Guarantee platinum watch two of the coldest. Get hot. I mean the B-R-A-T, huh? Unedited version's better. I'm your for life, baby. Ooh, Timbaland brings a horn back in. Yeah, just wanted to acknowledge too, like hip hop has such a long history of obviously sampling horns and then yeah. using synth horns and like horn music for hip-hop has kind of become a sub-genre into itself and like i feel like jay-z and like a lot of like mid-2000s rappers who would make like triumphant music would put horns but i kind of felt like the way timbaland did it here was almost similar to morphine in that it's like just very low and subtle but still adds a lot to the beat yeah we'll be crossing streams with that a little bit later Ooh. We're crossing the Delaware River in Virginia. Yeah. Don't fact check my maps. Are you passing it? Yeah, I'm passing it. All right. We left off talking about King, Tubby, and Lee Perry. I do want to correct myself. Uh, Dandy Livingston's uh, message to you, Rudy, is 1967. So it would have been, you know, seven years before that album. So maybe it, it was a nod to that song. So I was thinking about King Tubby. Tubby had me thinking, uh, you know, like fat or big. And I started thinking about like, what are the big horns? Got me thinking to the tuba. Oh, yeah. King We're going to be crossing to, tubes. To tuba. Um, did you know that I played the tuba? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Wait, real quick. What is it like? Like, is it hard? Is it heavy? I started with the baritone and uh, I decided that it would be funny because I was still pretty small even in like, I think this was middle school Mm -hmm. to uh, play the tuba, which was the biggest instrument other than like (laughs) if I was an orchestra. You would Um, be like the, um, who's a guy in uh, Ghetto Boys, Bushwick Bill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But um, just like to answer your question, they would put a phone book between my legs so that the tuba had something to rest on and then the case had wheels so it wasn't that hard to move around 
what do they do now? They, they, tuba players are searching for a phone book. Yeah, right. And they don't exist. <laughs> yeah, probably use like hard ass like books, like history books. Um. So, anyways, wanted to give a nod on our horns episode to the tuba, special place in my heart. So I've got a track here from Blood, Sweat, and Tears, one of the few groups to have a full time tuba player in their band. This is a live version of And When I Die, where we get to hear one of the rare tuba solos in in a rock song, launching it. (laughs) I did a lot of tuba research. Wait, fire away if you've got your tuba facts, unless you're saving them. No, but I just thought of a joke. Who's a famous tuba player? This guy, Dave Bargeron. What's Dave Bargeron's favorite wine? I don't know. Tuba Chuck. Got the gavel. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I'm kicked off the podcast. Almost like it, a tuba makes it almost automatically like polka. Oh man, we're gonna be weaving so many webs. We don't plan this. I was on Reddit threads of best tuba songs. Yes. So that's a tuba right there. Subtle tuba. Oh, I forgot to add, tuba is basically why I played bass guitar. I was going to say, because I thought that was a bass at first, so there's no bass on the song, huh? Uh, there might still be a bass player, but they have a tuba definitely playing along. Someone should be like the Timbaland and work with a yeet of, uh, <laughs> yeah. tu- instead of bells, like only Just sample tubas. tubas as the bass. No, I need that tuba. Great dad song. Totally. When I die, there'll be one more child to carry on. Oh, sorry, solo, tuba solo. Yeah. Sound like uh, claps too. Oh, tuba solo. Must. <laughs> I like that everyone laughs at Low the brown as possible. note. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, "This is a fart," but uh, we like it. <laughs> okay, real quick though, it kind of shows you how the idea of synthesis came up because that almost sounds like a really low synth note. Ooh, yes. It's just the vibration, so it's like a really long wave, right? Is it saw or square? Uh, well, there's a lot of harmonics because that's how like horns work, right? Is they reverberate the wave through the instrument and then it resonates out. And it's the length of the pipe too, right? Like that changes the note. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. whole construction. Yeah, because the sound waves are bouncing around in the instrument. So with a trombone, it's almost like manual sliding it. And then with a tuba, similar 
because I played the trumpet in middle school. I don't know. Yeah, you got the pistons, the little piston finger things. And that's similar to a tuba, right? Where you close a valve and then also if you blow harder, it goes higher. You get an octave. Yeah. If you resonate or if you, uh, I guess it's resonate. What would you vibrate? You vibrate your lips at a faster speed. If it's twice as fast, it'll be the octave above. The other funny horn thing is horn players will put the mute over their horn to like soften the sound. Yeah. Which um, I guess other instruments do that too, but it's just because horns are so damn loud. It's like the phone trick where you put your mouth over the speaker and you kind of. What? Wow. Crowd's feeling it. You always got to worry if you're at a concert where people are constantly trying to look for opportunities to clap. I know, especially because they're off rhythm. And then the drummer's like, stop, stop. So I don't know a ton about uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I qu- ironically have a couple of their records from Hand Me Downs, but quick look on them. They're from New York. They kind of remind me of almost like a jazz rock group like Chicago or something in like the, you know, the 70s when like the fusion of rock and jazz was a thing. But um, a lot of times they do arrangements of other like popular singer-songwriter songs. Mm. And I think this is actually a Laura Nairo song. I don't know if you know her. No, you know more than I know. What's the era of this track? This is sick right here. It almost sounds like DJ scratching. Imagine instead of a tuba, it's just a guy with his lips pursed with a microphone. (laughs) I wonder if you could even make something like this on a synthesizer. Yeah, you could, you could, but it it would be. You were just talking about synth horns. It wouldn't sound this fresh, though, I don't think. Maybe not, but it's it's something this that synthesis can, can imitate yeah. pretty well. Yeah. Uh, relative to, like, vi- violins. Well, I guess they can do violins pretty well. But I feel like on this, ever since you said, imagine this is just a guy with his mouth, I can almost <laughs> hear, like, the wind blowing through it. You yeah. Know, the breath. Anyways, this is a pretty long song, but I thought jazz tuba was a pretty fun um, horn. Definitely. It's just such a ridiculously large instrument. So ridiculous. That like it just add instantly is funny when people play it. 
Well, and you said you want to talk about the marching band. So the other yeah. tuba connection is my freshman roommate was uh, a tuba player in the marching band. Wow. <laughs> Shout out, Graham. <laughs> Shout out to Graham Parsons. Yeah. He was a funny dude. He had he had perfect pitch, and I used wow. to tell him to like sing notes. I would be like, sing a B flat, and then I would hold my guitar tuner. Uh huh. And he'd nail it. And he'd get it right. Yeah, wow. he'd nail it. He was actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even hate. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, a little boogie woogie. Yeah, very dad rock, but on the like jazz side. Yeah. Also, something like that is almost like a. It's just live music in general, like transferring over to DJing. I was thinking about that, where it's like, you know, they ended one song, went into a little tuba solo, and then all of a sudden it comes in, the energy shifts. Yeah, it comes back. Yeah. People eat that up. I forgot we were listening to this song. Yeah. All right, I'll fade it out on this note. What note is it? Yeah. B flat. We got to call it Graham. Yeah, I mean, may maybe he's rusty, but pretty impressive. I wonder if he knows we were talking about the synesthesia and someone knowing the color of your voice. I wonder if he's hearing people's voice and just like, why are they talking in a... E flat minor. <laughs> he probably he probably could. <laughs> he just has to sing the note and he, he can figure it out. Yeah. Pretty soon when we have like Android eyes, VR, our Apple goggles, it will just have a constant tuner, so we'll just know what everything is. Uh, did I mention the guy is Al Copper? I don't or think Al he did. Cooper. Sorry, Al Cooper. Alice Cooper. Um, which that name sounds super familiar. I think he was in Mike Bloomfield's band for a minute. Uh, and then also he's famously the guy who played organ on like a Rolling Stone. Wow. Even though I don't think he's an organ player. I think that's why Bob Dylan liked him. So there's a hope I can play tuba on Bob Dylan's new album. I like me because I don't play tuba. Yeah. Actually, delete me. I don't know. Maybe he, he is a keyboard player. But there was something about like he wasn't going to be the guy playing on the song and he was just messing around. I like that. Bob Dylan was like, put it on the record. <laughs> Woo. Is that the full song? Uh, there's another five minutes or three minutes somehow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I'll pass it back. All right. Love it. Like I said, I was scouring the Reddit message boards for great tuba songs, and we'll be getting my tuba song later. But I just want to issue a quick correction like you did for your last connection. When I said, yeah, in response to this sounds like Rudy, I was thinking Rudy, the football movie, thinking okay. marching bands. No, I'm just kidding. That was... A <laughs> pointless tangent i'm gonna give myself minus a thousand points and i'm not gonna edit it out i'm gonna let the listeners hear sometimes we take risks sometimes we fail but we're connecting from two albums that have nothing to do with each other except they both have horns one-to-one -one connection we left off at the brat and missy elliott timbaland 
you know, a couple different ways we can get into this next song. One is Timberland, uh, Friend of the Pod. There's something called the Sinaloan Forest in Mexico. Okay. Uh, or maybe Debrat. What's the synonym for Debrat? The kid. The, like, maybe a vain lady, maybe a presumptuous lady. Okay. So we're launching into Chuy. Lizar, uh, Lizaraga y su banda Tierra Sinaloense. I don't claim to pronounce things right. I apologies to our Spanish-speaking listeners. And this is also a little bit of redemption from last episode where I got the gavel because I said I crave salsa, salsa when I hear <laughs> salsa music. So I did my research from episode to episode, found out about banda music, I'm not sure how familiar you are with that. You said yes. mariachi music of the last episode, which I think there's a lot of different subgenres, offshoots of some, you know, Mexican folk music. This is a song I really enjoyed called Donde Estas Presumida, which I think from looking it up is kind of slang for, you know, like presumptuous lady. It's a horny song with a lot of horns. Launching in. Yes, tuba. tuba. <laughs> Is this why you said we'd be crossing streams with uh, Polka? Yeah, so Bondo music. Oh, hang on, let's hear a little. Love his voice. So those lyrics right there, se te quita lo dolido, translates to it takes away the pain, weaving webs to cure from pain. Wow. Getting million points. So yeah, banda music, talking about polka, originated 1880s in mostly in Sinaloa, the Mexican state. Um, there were, I guess, a lot of Germans living there at the time. Yeah. So there was some crossover with polka music, like accordion plays a big role, and even just, you know, the rhythm of the music. And so, can I interrupt quick? you real quick? Yeah, sure. Well, I always tell people that's why, like, Modelo tastes like a Pilsner. Oh, I see, yeah. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that, because I know there are a lot of Germans who lived in Texas, which was also Mexico, so. Yeah. I love those drums coming in. Wow. 
Pocket. So Banda music also has roots in military marches during the time of the Mexican Revolution. And apparently the revolutionary leaders of Mexico would take brass bands with them wherever they went. And you still see around Mexico, like a lot of bands just walking around the streets, practicing all over. And like brass is always a big part of a lot of the Mexican folk music. On the music video. Nice. Slide. Yeah, I think so. I just love it. Like, horns can be so chaotic, especially like, like I feel like a lot of like folk punk and like ska punk and stuff that I like even draws from this. Or like, Go Go Bordello is a band that kind of weaves all those webs into a different sound. Yeah, um, but I just love like horns can be smooth and they can also be chaos. I feel like it's you kind of love them or hate them. Yeah, agreed. But I'll pass back. Awesome. I don't know if I redeemed myself. Yeah, you definitely did. Amazing connection there. That song's great. Glad we talked about Bonda music. And I got to bring up my fun fact about Modelo again. <laughs> in case people weren't annoyed by me yet. Um, but we left off my connections, blood, sweat, and tears, and when I die, you had said sounds a bit like scratching. So uh, I'm gonna jump into my part B of my third oh, connection here. We don't plan this. Just to get a little scratching in, blood, sweat, and tears. One of the members went on to form the band Motherload. When I die, uh, so going from and when I die to when I die. This is Dilla sampling the song on his album Donuts. With the wobbly scratches at the beginning. You're talking about sampling and hip hop. Well, I feel like Dilla is a great example to weave to King Tubby and Lee Scratch Berry. In kind of the yeah, similar way he reinvented in a lot of ways. Although others were doing similar stuff, he had a very unique approach to what he did. And he's got like the bird's eye view, right? And obviously, he's doing it with records rather than with live performances. But yeah, the loop is incredible. And the original song actually holds up because the loop is just so good. So let's launch into the original back-to-back here. This is Mother Look. When I Die. Amazing horn there.
I just want to say something. Just the fact hearing this, when you listen to that Dilla song, you might not immediately recognize that it's that. And I feel like it's just another example of, you know, someone doing something super unique with samples, which I think Dilla did across his career. I'm not saying anything revolutionary, like the revolutionary war in Mexico, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if, if I mean, that's a perfect intro into the fun fact behind it. So the song is called Intro. Oh. It's called Donuts Intro, parentheses. And it's actually the last um, track on the record. Mm-hmm. And so the idea I've, I've read just like the, you know, fan fiction or whatever is like, um, he had this concept that, you know, it's a donut, which is like a circle. So there's no end or beginning. Mm-hmm. And he was someone that was like chronically ill and knew he was going to be dying soon. Yeah. And so there's this idea of like when I die, but it's it, the song's called intro instead of the first track is called outro. So there's a lot of cool symbolism there, which you're talking about, which is all kind of behind, you know, a layer deeper in the music than just listening to it. Yeah. It's very interesting. Another artist who died too young, like Morphine, Mark Sandman. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, shoot, I was, I was going to confirm that maybe a listener can, can check me on that. I think it's the last track. I definitely know that the first track is called outro, which is, I'm pretty sure you're right, but I'm not seeing it on the list. So maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure we'll have a million people from the Stone's Throws message boards. No, I think it's, (laughs) they could go after. Yeah. We don't want to mess with them as I know. Uh, but yeah, first track's definitely Donuts outro, and I thought the last one was Donuts intro, but maybe it's it's wedged in there. Anyways, the concept remains that it's called intro, but it's when I die. So, all right, going back, Motherload. Unless you got anything else you want to add? Nah. at the end of welcome to the show oh it's at the end of welcome to the show so it's like a bonus track kind of i guess nice okay so it is the last yeah last bit Sorry for not talking, but I just love this song so much. No need to say anything.
sure if I mentioned it, but it's the saxophone player from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's the Dilla sample right there. Yeah, so good. It's basically a loop itself. Yeah, it really is. I mean, all I did was throw like a kick and a snare on it, and it was done. Yep. Which sometimes that's all it needs, and it's like I used. I've said this a million times, but it's like I used to think, oh, it's so easy, anyone could do it. But it's like, but you didn't do it. Well, and then you can even and like, I know we're really nerding out about Dilla here, but you can even kind of think of it as like. It's not just sampling to just be like, look at this sick loop I found. And it's sampling to almost like create lyrics and have right. like a message on his record, which is pretty nuts when you think about it in that. Yeah. Context. And it's also, I feel like a lot of producers, good producers will do that, even if they're not intentionally doing it. Uh huh. Like I'd be interested to know whether he did that intentionally or not. Cause oh, I have I think heard it was. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just have heard that there's a lot of like, urban legend type stuff about this album because he ended up dying. I mean, he was like in the hospital chopping beats on his MPC. I know, but it's like, even if he's not intentionally making like this album to be full circle, which I think he probably was based on what you're saying, I have no reason to dispute it. I'm just saying a lot of times like producers will make a song that's inspired by whatever they're feeling the same way an artist writes yeah. lyrics in that way. And they'll, they'll, purposefully like sample a happier song because they're in a happier mood or a song about death because they're facing mortality and stuff like that. Yeah. It could have just been like, he was like, this is a sick loop or it resonated with him. I don't think it was. Yeah. I think it was at least that he, it resonated with him. Um, not to get even more trippy, trippy here, but he was 32 when he died, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. Damn. He was our age. Yep. All right. I'll pass it back on that somber note. Well, you know, at funerals, you play the horns. That's true. Or you sound the horn. Or bagpipes. Then... Yeah. <laughs> Is bagpipe a horn? I don't know. Well, let's do bagpipe episode so. next episode. I'm not even well, joking. Well, I guess when you said horn, I I kind of interpreted it as brass. I didn't go to yeah, like... Yeah, me too. Yeah, okay. But let's do bagpipes. I'm brassing it, brassing it back. <laughs> All right, brass monkey. We left off with banda music, chui, lizaraga, y su banda tierra sinaloenese and revolutionary music you know they didn't want the queen of spain they might have said my queen is mamie phipps clark this is a british band sons of comet i don't claim to pronounce any of this right <laughs> i gotta see this <laughs> uh kind of a more modern uh jazz experimental band i'm not sure if you're familiar with them but comet is the band Sons of Comet, K-E-M-E-T. No, I don't know. And this is from their album, Your Queen is a Reptile. And the song is My Queen is Mamie Phipps Clark. Launching in. You hear me the Tuba. Mm-hmm. 
I'm really surprised you didn't play tuba. I feel like you're all about the tuba this episode. I want to start playing tuba. I really do like the tuba in the same way I like the bass, but I never really played bass. Dang, but dude, I've, we got to get a tuba for your garage. I think I'm going to. And I've realized the older I get, the more I'm drawn to the low end. Yeah. It's like life's slowing down. When I die, bury me with my tuba. Yeah. <laughs> low music. So this is definitely one of this band's dubby reggae songs. A lot of their yeah. other stuff can be more like upbeat jazz, but they blend a lot of different genres. Uh, thought the I found this on the Reddit thread for t popular music that uses tuba, and I was really um, excited by it. The uh, album title "Your Queen is a Rept is a Reptile" refers to obviously the British monarchy. It's a British band with some um, black immigrants in the band, so they're calling her a reptilian, the queen who is now when she's dead it's now when she's dead we are an evergreen podcast but that won't change in our timeline unless we access the spirit realm well all music comes from and then we'll go back in time um but i guess yeah the a lot of the themes of this album are that the monarchy obviously is responsible for slave trade and doesn't treat black immigrants the same as the rest of British citizens. Um, the inner sleeve says, your queen is not our queen. She does not see us as human. So then all of the track lists are like black women from throughout history. Like my queen is Harriet Tubman is one song. Nice. My queen is Angela Davis. And then this one is Mamie Phipps Clark. Love that feedback. Gives it the raw, raw live feel. I didn't know who Mamie Phipps Clark was. You ever heard of her? No. I guess she was a psychologist, social psychologist, who worked in Arkansas with black preschool children on the development of self-consciousness. And she kind of studied the effects of segregation and attitudes towards race and racial self-identification and one of her studies was used in the Brown vs. Board of Education case where she found that children who attended segregated schools preferred with playing with white dolls over black dolls. Whoa. Listen that dub.
thought this song was great though. Yeah, this is great. All right, I'm gonna back. keep going here. Uh, left off with Motherload, When I Die, talking about Jay Dilla. Uh, another another producer across the ocean or across the seas and ocean uh, in Japan has the same birthday as Jay Dilla, actually. Uh, I don't think we've talked about Nujibis. Maybe we have. But uh, ultimately using him as a, a, a hop. You know more than me. Skip to my next connection here. So we've talked about the trombone back on 300 years at the grassroots. Talked a little bit about the tuba. And then When I Die had a nice uh, baritone sax line there. So talking about the trumpet, your instrument uh, Nucha B's samples a really famous trumpet player that I didn't know a ton about, so I wanted to make sure to use this connection to talk a little bit about for our modern listeners. Chet Baker, it's a name that's everywhere, but I don't really know what like his historical context is. I only know Chet um, Faker. Yeah, exactly. He's like this name that has then been uh, you know, riffed upon for, for a modern band from Australia. Um so the song that Nujabez or Nujabez samples is called What'll I Do? Um, Chet Baker, he's kind of the trumpet pretty boy is my quick synopsis of him, but we'll talk a little bit more about him. Um, also, fun fact. Sound horny over there. For uh, Nujabez, Nujabez, it's his name backwards, oh, which is kind of cool. Never knew that. Uh, his name is June Seba. So the way you get it is if it's Seba June, because I think, you know, in Asian cultures, it's the last name first. It's uh, Seba June Nujabez. Anyways, launching in, Chet Baker. Put the thing down, flip it, and reverse it like Missy Elliott. Perfect for sampling here, by the way. Not surprised. So Chet Baker kind of has a weird story. He's, as Wiki coins him, James Dean, Sinatra, and Bix. I don't know Bix, but I think that's like a old-time jazz trumpet player. Um, rolled into one. So New Jobbies is a trumpet player? I always thought he was like a producer. No, no. This is this is Chet Baker. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Just using New Jobbies to get to Chet Baker. Um, but yeah, he was considered the prince of cool. Uh, he kind of got the idea that he was the face of cool jazz. Um, but he also had a well-publicized drug habit. So he was kind of a bad boy. Morphine? Um, I would assume morphine. Let's see. What does Wiki say? That'd be a nice connection. <laughs> um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about is, I guess... 
he was kind of hated by like the true heads. Oh. Because he's a singer, as you can hear right now. Is the vanilla ice of trumpets. So he died actually in Amsterdam in 1988, uh, supposedly fell out of his hotel balcony on the second floor. Mm. And they think he was just on drugs and they found heroin and cocaine. So that's probably the answer to your question. Not morphine. Bad combination. As he's but, singing, real quick, I was going to say, yeah. as he's singing, I'm imagining like a sci-fi movie of a planet where everyone talks with horn sounds like you got <laughs> yeah. the trumpets the tubas because it's like the human voice without a brass instrument is yeah right a lot sweeter of a sound and then you put it through that yeah and it comes out like but we can kind of make the sound totally but, yeah there's a great song uh old folk song that i have where the guy does a trumpet solo with his mouth he just like <laughs> tries to make it sound like a trumpet But yeah, I guess so. I guess Miles Davis really looked down on Chet. Uh, same thing with Bill Evans. Um, with Miles Davis, totally warranted. Basically, you know, he's the innovator of all like the new ideas in jazz. But then you've got these white faces like Chet Baker or even Dave Brubeck who are getting all the credit in mainstream America. Because music was segregated by the yep. recording industry because America is segregated. But I think. To me, Chet just seems like a dude that like could play, but he wasn't brilliant and kind of just like rode it to success. Not like Elvis, but in the same vein, maybe of of, of that type of uh, musician. Probably got a little more famous than they probably should have. But <laughs> back to in front of the, the your honor, <laughs> putting a lot of people on trial here. But uh, last thing I want to tell you here because the song's over is uh, there was a great story I was reading about uh, where Boots Riley had been pretty vocal about criticizing black Klansmen. And when he saw Spike Lee at a governor's ball, I guess they got into a heated argument that they had to be separated. And the last thing Spike Lee yelled to him was, uh, I'm Miles Davis, you're Chet Baker. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which, I mean, I think the implied idea is Spike Lee had created the sort of I, I don't know what you'd call it, racial commentary comedy. I don't know what you'd call his his genre, but then being Boots Riley's just kind of Social, playing in yeah. his world. Yeah. Although I love both those guys, but I think Boots Riley does something different. And yeah, I want to give a shout out to I'm a Virgo on Amazon Prime. It's even good. though we're an evergreen podcast, I think it's a really good show, especially if you enjoyed his movie uh not sorry to bother you something like that you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i'm sorry to bother you That's sorry to bother Riley. you yeah i'm thinking sorry to bother you is the tim robinson sketch show but what's that called i think you should leave uh, i think you should leave yep okay sorry to bother you i think you should leave also shout out boots riley I've, t I've said this before but when i lived in oakland i used to see him at the ymca and he's, and real, he he's real for that going into the great. ymca gym in Oakland, yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I feel like a lot of his stuff is like communist agenda 
yeah that he puts in but in i'm a virgo he even kind of like meta addresses that yeah um so it's a very interesting art form that he's working in uh oh also he was a musician yeah he's a musician yeah he was a boots camp click yeah and was his he had another band whatever oh i don't know all right he's a rapper though right yeah maybe it's not boots camp am i wrong uh i haven't heard of that but uh the coop the coop thank you and street sweeper social club yeah 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 thank you um last thing i'll say is supposedly chet baker couldn't read or write music which i think also pissed people off that he was the face of jazz i like him more now (laughs) um all right i'll pass it back i only got one more connection all right me too launching straight in this is people from the grassroots, King Tubby and Lee Scratchberry. Connection here, not very strong, just that that last song was dubby. And also just love the title, like I already kind of mentioned, and what it represents. know talking about your queen is not my queen England is a small island that forcefully oppressed a lot of the world through the military including the United States so I don't have a problem saying that but this music is the people from the grassroots also England and Jamaica obviously have a big cultural tie-in because of England's colonization. When I was reading through Chet Baker, I realized that the idea of like so-and-so meets so-and-so is definitely like a jazz trope that so so deaf So-so meets so-and-so deaf, yeah, like Jermaine exactly. Dupree. Like Stan Getz meets Chet Baker. Yeah, because they were some of the original musicians like collaborating. And it's easier to collaborate when you're just musicians who can riff on the standards. Yeah. This is another Lee Perry track. Nice. I also felt like in that Banda song we heard how it's like in dub, you can like withhold the drums and then bring them in at like a kind of off kilter moment and it hits harder somehow. like when that kick comes in. Nice. All right, taking us home here. Left off with Chet Baker talking about Miles Davis being snubbed and Chet being the white face of jazz, which obvious connection gets me to a popular song from early 2010s that ended up snubbing one of the greatest musicians of our time. Macklemore, Thrift Shop. Great horns. 
Chet Baker of today? Yep, he's the Chet Baker. No, I'm not actually going to play that song, but I uh, thought it'd be a good psych out transition. Uh, no, it gets me to morphine. <laughs> Seattle Miles, Pixies. Miles Davis funeral. Boston. He has a song about Ireland. But to get a setup for Miles Davis funeral, I'm going to play a little bit of Sheila just to show nice. you the range of these songs because they go from, you know, rocked out to noir jazz. So this is the end of Sheila. And uh, just for the listener, these songs are back-to-back. That's why I chose to. So you just hear the natural transition. Love that. It almost sounds like there's a phaser on that saxophone. Well, yeah. So I read um, an interview where the saxophone was saying he had guitar envy. So he would run his saxophone through guitar pedals and amps to give it different sounds. This would be a great sample. So this is Miles Davis's funeral. This is the last song, right? Uh, Yeah, actually, I think it is. So just like intro and funeral, death. You were nice. very on theme. You were ready. I'm going to give you the win on this episode. Anyways, I loved the range. This is to me was a bonus. That Love you those could, drums too. This sounds like a instrumental interlude that you might hear on a movie or something. Is this country gaze? Ooh, maybe. But yeah, great pick. Definitely enjoyed it. Love that they're from Cambridge officially, but basically Boston area. And. Um, Yeah, there's a couple songs, like you said, there's a couple songs I wanted to, to choose, but it was hard. Yeah, I think I became a fan of Morphine now, so I'm going to dig deeper into some of their other stuff. And I almost feel like with spoken word, we've talked about in the past, that this is another sort of genre that no one else is doing or has ever done that could be reinterpreted in a kind of a cool way in the future. Mm-hmm. But thanks for listening. Email us, connectingtheclassics at gmail.com. If you suggest a theme, we'll... Give you a dollar. And also add to the playlist that we're making. Sign up for the newsletter. If you're listening this far, you might as well. Add your horn songs. Add your horn songs to the playlist. What, Talk to you. Oh. What, 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 what. <laughs>
I'll actually defend this album. Wow, I actually I'll stay on for that. <laughs> Bonus content. We should put this behind a paywall. Uh, we <laughs> we can agree this shouldn't have beaten Good Kid, Mad City, right? No, but I mean, also it's the Grammys, and who cares? That's fair. But it's like the same idea of Miles Davis feeling like. Chet Baker is like on magazine covers being like the face of jazz and he's like yeah. what the hell not who cares but it's a perception a public who, perception uh, like it's not surprising I guess I should say sure <laughs> I saw Macklemore in Seattle in maybe like 2010 or something like that like right after he blew up yeah and I was just like you know what the people love Macklemore he's a little cheesy but he does make some catchy songs. Yeah, I'm not against Macklemore. It's just society's... Just repeating itself is just so disappointing. Yeah. And also, now that we have hindsight, it, it gets worse every year. Definitely. Of what Kendrick went on to do from that moment versus what Macklemore's done since that. Yeah. I guess the only... I don't even think about that as being significant because it's like to me the grammys aren't the marker of cultural relevance sure but i know what you're saying and his screenshotted text was pretty corny <laughs> yeah he never recovered i mean i'm fine with that it was the posting about it that was the bad part exactly he should have just texted him and yep. not posted Been it done yeah or he should have really said it in his speech yeah, for real. But also, like, if you win a Grammy, I guess there's the racial component to it. Yep. But if you win a Grammy, don't you probably think, like, well, I made the best album, so... I mean... It's just the whole concept of award shows is stupid. <laughs> All right, we can agree there. Yeah. It's music. There's no winner. Unfortunately, he gave, like, white people the permission to wear onesies in public, which was really too bad. <laughs> All right. All right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Good horns.